Welcome back to the Syracuse Football Podcast. I'm Stephen Bailey, joined as always by Julian Wiggum, and this week we're previewing the Oranges game against Florida State, Saturday, 3.30 in Tallahassee. Syracuse 3-4, and four, coming off losses to NC State and Pittsburgh. Orange hasn't beaten a Power 5 team yet. This is kind of put-up-or-shut-up time, and the team has a lot of questions. Two injured quarterbacks, an offensive line in flux here. Uh, we're going to dive into all of that. Before we do that, of course, I need you guys to go on and subscribe. If you haven't done it yet, what are you doing? iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, tell a friend. You get the referral bonus of feeling like you did something good. And, uh, and we need all the help we can get, frankly. So we'll take that. If you want to purchase local advertising, contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069. All right, let's dive in, Julian. Uh, Tommy DeVito hurt. He's been playing hurt the last two weeks. Clayton Welch suffered what looked like a left shoulder collarbone injury that he was playing through against Pittsburgh. Dino Babers says we're going to try some new things in the offensive line this week. Uh, obviously a very hectic time for the offense. And while Florida State's defense maybe isn't the world beater that Pitts was, Pitts leading the nation in sacks right now, uh, not an easy thing to do to go on the road uh, against a program that's going to have a large crowd and try and make these changes. Like, what, what are you kind of expecting from the Syracuse offense, and what challenges does that environment present? Uh, well, in, in terms of expectations, mine are still very low because an offensive line in college or high school football, if, if, if it's bad, uh, it's pretty terminal to, to your football team. It, it, like You start to see symptoms where – your run game slows down. All of a sudden, your quarterbacks start getting injured. Your offense slows down. You put more emphasis on your defense. Your defense wears down. You start losing football games. Um, I think we're starting to see this process continue. And throughout the rest of the season, I mean, I, I think there's about a, a four-week four life expectancy left uh, at this point, at least for me, uh, in terms of what this offense can do. But uh, outlook on the road, the challenges that you face, uh, the biggest difference is since you're starting to shuffle guys across the offensive line, their study habits are shortened a little bit when you've got a road game coming up because now you're traveling, you're trying to study on an airplane, or you're trying to get those last-minute questions in in unfamiliar territory. Now you're trying to adjust to a new field, a new environment outside. It's going to be a little bit warmer uh, outside in, in, in Florida State. And I can remember uh, back in 2015, uh, I don't. I don't know what the weather. I'm. I'm in the city. I don't know what the weather is like in uh, Syracuse. I imagine probably 40s, 30s, or whatever. 50s. Uh, it's it's pretty I, nice. It's pretty nice. The foliage is in peak form right now, Julian. Oh man, look at that! Of, of course, it's nice when I'm not there. Uh, but I, I can remember uh, coming from Syracuse uh, one week. I think it was uh, we were going to USF, so it was out in Tampa, and we were leaving Syracuse, and it was about. 30, maybe in the uh, 20 range, we come down to USF, and even me, a Florida guy, uh, was struggling in warm-ups. Like, dog, this, this humidity is getting to me. I haven't been used to this kind of weather in a little while, um, making these adjustments. And we were making things, adjustments in our secondary, right? And we were trying to try some new things, and all of a sudden we get out there, and USF, they, they brought it to us. Like, they just came after us right away, and while we were trying to make adjustments in our secondary and then trying to adjust to a different environment where it was much hotter and warmer and more humid than we were used to, uh, it, it, it was a, a much more difficult challenge than it would have been had we been at home. So 
for Syracuse this season with their offensive line and shuffling new guys and putting new guys in there, now you're starting to worry about how will these new and younger guys who they may try to give an opportunity to, how do they adjust to Florida State on the road? Uh, another instance, playing at Florida State, and mind you, again, I'm a Florida guy who grew up watching Florida State. They, I used to shuffle my favorite teams. Like one year I was a, a Miami fan. The next year I was a Florida State fan. Eventually I ended up kind of sticking with Miami. But when I, loving Florida State the way I did, getting – into the stadium, I remember 2013 when they had the, the national championship team. Uh, there, there was this moment where I'm just kind of looking at the offensive line. Across from me is Kelvin Benjamin, who was 6'6", 230. He was huge. James Winston was huge. The whole team is huge. And then you got them, you know, doing that the, the chop with that annoying little chant. And I'm like, this is incredible. But it was one of the few moments in my career. Mind you, I was a sophomore getting real playing time. I had some experience by then, but still a sophomore, young guy, and I'm just looking around. It was one of the first times, one of the few times that I was truly just mesmerized and kind of captured by the moment of college football and playing at Florida State. Like, it was just, it was surprisingly, it was uh, a full crowd, at least from my, my point of view, full crowd, loud, um, and it, it just got me for a moment. I'm, and then finally, I, I kicked back in, uh, Darrell screaming at me, Wiggum! Wiggum! Where, and he was giving me a call. It was like some cover three, so I was able to catch it and kind of play my role. But, you know, I tuned out for a bit, and it's very easy to do that. I've seen guys, people do it all the time, whether uh, they're, they're offensive linemen, wide receivers. Just you kind of get lost, whether it's a TV timeout or whatever, in a moment, especially if you haven't been in that kind of atmosphere before. Um, it happened to me my freshman year as well. And it, I'm sure for guys getting into – uh, this new this new environment on the road, trying to uh, uh, apply new assignments and, and take on a new role. Whether even if you're a, a veteran guy who, who's been playing on the offensive line, if you all of a sudden have been playing center for six seven weeks, and then all of a sudden you're out of tackle, going out playing on the road in, in a different environment, trying to learn a new assignment can be difficult. And uh, playing on the road, I think that adds to the pressure. Of, of trying to succeed and, and be good at your job. So there's definitely a, a tall task for the offensive line, the quarterback situation, even the receivers and what they're trying to accomplish. So this offense going down to Florida State, I think, it, I think it's uh, certainly one of the biggest challenges of the season. Sure. So let's get into some nuts and bolts. Uh, neither of the quarterbacks were made available for interview this week. Clayton Welch and, and Tommy DeVito, obviously. Dino Babers didn't really want to say anything about them at his Monday press conference. Both guys were healthy enough to finish the Pittsburgh game. I don't expect either of them to be unavailable. The question is, how limited are they? Um, and, and, you know, how much more do you want to put Tommy DeVito's body on the line? Are you prioritizing him for the Boston College game the week after? Uh, you know, might we even see Rex Culpepper mix in a little bit if he can bring something different? On the line... Guys were not made available Tuesday. Carlos Vettorello wasn't made available. Uh, Aaron Service was receiving treatment, um, so he wasn't available to talk. I, I do think we may see some changes up there. You know, I, At this point, it seems kind of ludicrous to roll out the same five, even if th- those are the guys who you think you like. Um, one possibility that we've discussed is moving Aaron Service out to tackle, and you kind of touched on a little bit about what that might be like for him. And, and now, obviously, he moves out. 
We could see Patrick Davis at center. We could see Carlos Vettorello at center. Vettorello worked at center early in preseason camp before kicking back out to tackle. Um, Ryan Alexander, I think at right tackle, is someone who's been a bit of a letdown as a graduate transfer. Maybe Matthew Bergeron, a true freshman, gets a look there. But... <laughs> As you mentioned, the, 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 there's the environment on the road, and then there's also figuring out how to work through that. And communication for the offensive line has been a real issue this year. There have been false starts even at home. And you go, I talked to Carlos Vettorello, the, the Liberty game, the first game, he, he couldn't hear well. It's, it's not easy for someone to get used to doing that, I guess, at tackle is kind of what I've learned talking with these guys. Um, even at Maryland and at NC State, if you're not hearing the call correctly, uh, that's it. You know, if, if one guy's doing the wrong thing. So do you do you move Veterello inside to center? And then he's got to be the one making the calls, and you have a veteran Aaron Service on the outside who maybe you trust more in that environment. I, I don't know. I think that's a possibility. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried multiple lineups this week, um, but it's it's really a difficult situation for that group, and I think you can hope whatever offensive line combination you put out there works, but it's hard to expect considerable growth with, with all of those variables in play. I think to me, maybe the more interesting, long-term, telling situation is, is what does Syracuse do at quarterback? You know, Dino Babers kept Tommy DeVito off the field for most of the second half against Pittsburgh because he didn't want to see him get hit again. He didn't want to see him, you know, get badly injured. I I think all the hits Tommy's taken this year have have taken a bit of a toll on him mentally as well as physically. Have you seen something like this, Julian? And and what, like, what's the right answer? Like, do you keep putting Tommy out there knowing he's going to get hit? Do you, he's going to be your starting quarterback the next two years. Is, Is there a benefit to giving him a week off like is that that, to me that sounds kind of sacrilegious for a college football coach but might that be something worth considering I I can't think of any instance where and really in any time in my career we held a guy out and trying to get him back healthy if if he was available to play and he was our best I I can't think of an example but uh, if, if, if I'm in this situation my thought process would be Maybe you do hold him out of this game, or at least the first half, right? You hold him out, see what kind of options uh, you have up front, see what kind of quarterback situation you have. Hold him out. If he is not, I don't know, 75%, you don't feel like he's the guy you want to go with, you think that uh, Welch or maybe even Culpepper is a better fit to go in right now. If the game is close and your quarterback situation has been inconsistent and Tommy's sitting there saying, I can go, I can go, Maybe then in the second half or a fourth quarter, you put him in the game because he's been saved the, the entire game. And then you've got an opportunity to put a fresh guy in there with a little bit of talent who can maybe close out a game for you, treat it like a baseball game where you've got a guy who starts out the game and then you have another the rest of your keep him in the bullpen and go ahead and trot him out there later on. But in this instance, I, I feel like you got to go with the football principle here is put the guy out there who gives you the best chance to win. And in this case, if – Tommy DeVito is hurt and you feel like he can't take the hits and you're going to end up having to make a quarterback change anyway, I think it's the smarter decision to go ahead with your second or third guy, whoever that may be, and have him sit in the game. And then worst-case scenario, if you feel like that quarterback getting hit too often, go ahead with 
with DeVito if he's capable of playing. Otherwise, I would save him and try to get him back in for Boston College in the rest of, in the, rest of the year because in this, if, you're, if the goal is trying to get the six wins, um, I'm not going to try to risk that rushing Tommy back too early and then jeopardizing the rest of my season. If I have a chance to play some guys who may give us a chance to win, go ahead and let them play, and then those last three games of the year, go ahead go ahead and have a rest to veto, come back in and start the rest of the year and, and try to give yourself that, that opportunity to get to that six win in that bowl game. So um, in this case, it's just go with the football principle, play the best guy, and if I can save DeVito, I will because there's still more to play for in the last three games of the season. Yeah, my thought is the same, and it's really hard to to give a firm opinion without being in practice and without seeing what those guys look like. And frankly, we don't know how hurt Clayton Welch is. I mean, I went back and rewatched the game. He's wincing every time he goes down. Now, it's, it's not his throwing shoulder, uh, so I guess that's a good thing. But, I mean, it's... This is a difficult situation, and I would at least expect both guys to be part of the game plan uh, because, frankly, we talked about this after the pit game. Clayton Welch's ability to run was you know, really something that was refreshing for the offense. They haven't been able to manufacture that traditionally, aside from DeVito ripping a couple long runs against Western Michigan. The ground game hasn't been there, so you know maybe you can scheme some, some stuff up with him that gives Tommy a little more time. Uh, again, behind that offensive line that's shuffling on the road, I don't know how optimistic you can be, but it will be interesting how they handle that and, and, and whether Dino Babers pushes his chips in for the Florida State game or says, you know what, we got Boston College and then a bye. Let's survive and give ourselves a chance to, to move on. Um, on the flip side of things, I, I think it's a really interesting matchup for Syracuse's defense because Florida State's offensive line is also terrible. They are, I think, 116th or so in the country in stuff rate, so they're having a, a lot of runs basically that are going nowhere. Um, they've given up a lot of sacks. Uh, they've also gone through some quarterback injuries. James Blackman, their redshirt sophomore who won the starting job over Wisconsin transfer Alex Hornibrook, had a knee injury after starting the first four games. He just came back and played a full game last week against Wake Forest. Um, so, so they're kind of in, in similar shambles that, that Syracuse is. If you're that orange defense, Julian, you know, what's, what's the key? How do you kind of attack that? And, and what challenge does Cam Akers present as a really, really talented running back surrounded by kind of a disaster? So you and everyone else knows I'm from the Coach Schaefer era and the Coach Schaefer philosophy of going after offensive line and quarterback. Constant pressure is the solution to everything. And I still believe that despite other defensive schemes I've been in, I, I feel like pressure is one of uh, a defense's best friends and best assets. So in this instance, I, I truly believe if you can constantly bring pressure, you've got a great game plan uh, as a defense. Now it would feel great if I was a corner or a safety in this game, thinking there's going to be some opportunities here. I've seen James Black against, against Wake Forest. I think he threw an, an interception to a linebacker uh, last week, and mm-hmm. it was off of pressure. That offensive line gives up both the inside and outside. I mean, Florida State loses the same way that Syracuse has, whether that offensive line is not getting uh, any push up front, uh, not blocking guys in the pass, pass game, letting guys get through all of a sudden. And then Blackman has this, this tendency where he'll off his back foot just throw the ball, and that's when you, you go for an opportunity. Tips and open throws. And I feel like Syracuse's defense is equipped 
to take advantage of that. They've got a turnover, and I don't know what is it like, like 28 games or something Tw- like that. 21 so le- leads they- the country. We got a full press release about that just to give you an idea of how the season is going. That's incredible. That's an incredible stat. You know, a real tip of the hat to um, Brian Ward and that uh, defense because to take the ball away is one of the, one of the most valuable things you can do as an offense or defense because it, it obviously improves your chances of winning that game. And I think in this in this game in particular, bringing pressure, going after that offensive line, confusing them. The same, I'm telling you, it's literally the same game plan that beats the Syracuse. Going after that offensive line and uh, trying to attack the quarterback, making things difficult in the run game. If Cam Akers, this is my only fear now, if Cam Akers is able to get outside of the tackles, and this is something I've seen him do against Syracuse in the past and really throughout his career, once he gets outside of the tackles, I really feel like he's a threat. So screen games. Uh, and bouncing the ball. Once he's outside of tackles and he's forcing linebackers and secondary players to make a play, that's where I get worried. And this is where I believe matchup comes into play. The ACC is all over the place right now in terms of who beats who. And it typically comes down to certain matchups, whether it's quarterback versus secondary, defensive line versus offensive line. And you see where teams are superior in one end, if they can find a way to continuously be successful, uh, some, for whatever reason, they come out and get the win. Like Georgia Tech last week against the Miami, they found a way to get pressure, certain instances on third down, they won, all of a sudden they win the game. Everybody's like, why is Georgia Tech winning games against the Miami? And it's all about those matchups and finding ways to succeed. So in this instance, I'm very interested in Cam Akers on the outside making linebackers and secondary guys make tackles. And I think that's going to be a huge indication of whether or not uh, Syracuse can stay in this football game because it's going to be on the defense. They have to find a way to keep Syracuse in this game, which they've done a decent job of doing the last two weeks and then giving the offense an opportunity. Maybe it's with a short field of turnover. But if they can find a way to win that matchup, and that's what I want to keep my eye on this week, it, I think that's going to be a huge indicator of whether this game is close or not because if he finds a way to break out, Florida State gets a few breaks here or there, um, I think it's going to be hard for Syracuse to win this game. So if they can keep Cam Akers on the – contained on the inside and forcing that run game to stay inside and making sure he's not getting out and making big plays um, and, and, and slowing down that pass game, I think it's going to give Syracuse a real opportunity to win this game uh, despite their issues on offense. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And when you think back to that pit game, Valique Carter and A.J. Davis did get outside the tackles a few times and reeled off some big runs. We saw Lakeem Williams not quite get to a spot in time. Evan Foster went for a big hit and, and, and whiffed. So, you know, those are the situations that Syracuse is trying to avoid. And I, I do have one stat I want to drop in here. Florida State has been extremely efficient in the red zone. They've gotten in there 21 times this year, scored 18 of them, 15 touchdowns. So... You know, I think there's there's merit to being aggressive because the the bend but don't break approach it hasn't really worked against Florida State this year, and that doesn't mean it necessarily won't. But this is a team that's executed well in the red zone, so getting after them before they get down there, I, I think, is yeah. the approach to go with. All right, let's transition now to some Twitter questions. I think we've hit on some of them already. A lot of them about the quarterbacks, a lot of them about the offensive line. We got another question from Dino Julian. Nice to see that he's listening. Despite how this season has gone, we really appreciate that. All right. First question, Doc Vernald, with the focus on the O-line coach, do you believe the O-line bands together and wins one for the Gipper? Uh, 
maybe, you know, I'm not sure the focus has necessarily been put on Mike Kavanaugh yet. Uh, you know, I was actually hoping to talk to the lineman and even Kavanaugh this week about him and his background. Um, no one was made available by SU. So he coached for Mike Riley at Oregon State and then at Nebraska. Uh, before that, he actually worked under June Jones, one of Dino Baber's mentors at Hawaii. Uh, so there... It, there's there's some familiarity here with Kavanaugh that we can talk about. He knows a lot of the people who Dino has worked for. Um, the scheme wasn't totally unfamiliar to him when he came in here last year. And again, we've kind of talked about this. Mike Lynch, the offensive coordinator, coached the O-line during Dino's first year in Syracuse. So I think the notion that this is all on Kavanaugh is, is probably not true. Uh, I'm not too here to absolve blame from anybody, but... Uh, you, you know, he has experience, he has familiarity with the scheme, uh, and based on what Dino has kind of said, expecting growth from players in weeks four to six, I th- I really do think this is mostly a case of who the guys are that, that's on the field. And I know I've said this before, but remember this, Carlos Vettorello beat out Ryan Alexander in camp. A redshirt freshman who has never played beat out a graduate transfer you brought in who was all Sunbelt honorable mention. Something went wrong there. The guy you expected to come in and patch a hole wasn't ready to patch a hole. And then Sam Heckle got hurt, and now you've got that guy who got beat out by the redshirt freshman starting on one side, and the redshirt freshman who probably shouldn't be playing just because of his age, and and is frankly someone who the staff liked quite a bit when they brought him in. Those are your two tackles. I I really think that's the reality of it, and and obviously you have Dakota Davis as a first-year starter in there, and, and Aaron Service has gotten pushed around a little bit at center. But to me, I really think a lot of it is the players and, you know, maybe seeing their coach take a little bit of heat publicly is something that will drive them. But frankly, I think, especially if there's going to be a shuffle, like if Aaron Service is out of tackle, he's not worried about Kavanaugh. He's worried about, you know, his, his pass sets. And whoever's in at center, if it's not Aaron Service, is worried about making their calls and making them loud to make sure everyone hears him on the road. So... You know, I guess that's kind of my take on that. Um, Christian Leagrand, how many different offensive linemen play on Saturday? I really wish I had a better answer for you. I I, I think five is the number <laughs> that they hope for. <laughs> you know, I don't think this is a situation where they want to rotate guys in. It's not like a, we have six guys and these two tackles can kind of, you know, switch in and out and, and keep anyone from getting tired. We've seen Syracuse use that approach in the past. They shuffled three guards in last year because they had three guys who they really liked. Like, this is a, we have two guys, and we have to put three others out there, and I, I think experience really matters. Um, James Brown, another offensive line question. I'm hoping we give Patrick Davis a shot at center, move service to tackle, and replace Alexander with Bergeron. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's reasonable. Um, you also note that Service got his body ready for tackle during the offseason. I'm not sure that's entirely true. Uh, Service lost a lot of weight during last season, which he said in the spring happens every year, and his approach this offseason was to put it on gradually rather than get it back really fast. He usually, in, in past summers, he said he didn't really feel great during summer conditioning because he put on a lot of weight really quickly, so his goal is to put it on gradually. I think he's put some of it back on, but I agree with you. I, I think he is getting pushed around in there at center especially that NC State game stood out to me. Western Michigan, too, he had a couple of bad plays. Uh, And a second question from James, was there ever a time when Julian was playing that a simple change to the offensive line yielded positive results? Can can you give him something optimistic for for James to hold on to, Julian? (laughs) 
Um, I'm trying to think. Listen, and I, I apologize here because, again, as a corner playing in the secondary, uh, the offensive line was probably uh, the farthest away from both my uh, friend group and my positional worries in terms of uh, my college career and what was going on. So I didn't pay much attention. But actually, um, thinking about it, for the most part, our line, uh, the Marone years, I, can, I remember uh, we had, what was it, Shebane, Trudeau, who um, was it, Mackey, and uh, we had a pretty stable offensive line because Hickey went to the NFL and then uh, Pew went to the Yeah, we had a solid line that year. Um, the next year, I think we ended up replacing – Hickey with Pew and another guy came. We were solid. Yeah, we ended up putting in guys who we had solid offensive line. Like, we didn't have um, issues up front. We felt like we had to shuffle. At least from my memory, I can't remember internally guys worried about um, what we're going to do on the offensive line and shuffling guys around. I can remember stories from my roommates, Amari Palmer and Kyle Knapp, uh, both guys who – uh, did end up either a starting on the offensive line or, or playing significant stats, snaps. Um, it was always in the preseason. Guys were like, because Amari was a, a pretty key starter for the majority of his career. And it was always in the preseason. He was always saying, "Oh, I wonder if so and so is going to make it. I think he's the best guy." Yada yada. But once game one hit, there was never a question of, "Oh, we got to replace somebody." It was usually once those five guys were established, that's who ended up going in. And uh, I, I can't remember uh, very many instances outside of injury where another guy came in. Um, I, can't, I do remember Seamus Stanley coming in, uh, replacing uh, our center who got injured my, I think it was our junior year. Uh, and it, the big question is whether or not he was going to get a scholarship or not. Mm-hmm. But it, it was rare that, or it never really happened where our offensive line was so bad that we were constantly trying to shuffle guys, and there was a worry about putting a guy in all of a sudden, everything took off. Um, Shamey Shanley did come in. He played well. Coach uh, Shamey, or Coach uh, Schaefer gave him a lot of kudos in the postgame and would kind of give him credit uh, public or to you know, the inside toward the team. But there was never really an instance where our offensive line was just bad and we were constantly shuffling guys we put a guy in and things all of a sudden just got better like i said earlier in the show like if you have a bad offensive line in week one typically by week 12 you still have a bad offensive line it's one of the few things in college football that it's really difficult to fix right away you can't trade guys like in the nfl and just you know bring in you know a talented guy uh you, you you have to raise offensive lines when you're in the college or high school level. And in this instance, it, it's, a, it's a problem where you don't have guys who are ready to play, and now you're just trying to hope guys grow up quickly, and that typically does not happen over the course of one season. You need an off-season, guys get bigger in the, in the, you know, during the summer and the spring and such. Um, it, it's difficult to just get a guy who just takes off and, and kills it uh, inside of one season on the offensive line. I've talked about this in other shows where uh, it's the easiest position to get on the field early are farthest away from the ball. That's why you see so many freshman corners and freshman wide receivers come in and play really well because, one, you don't have the strength aspect. 
uh, to worry about necessarily. And then two, it's easier to pick up uh, the scheme on the outside. You can freshman, you only have, at least at the defense, you only have, I think it's like six coverages to learn. And then you just all the checks, right? On the offensive side of the ball, you have a set amount of plays, you hear the play, you get your route, and some coaches make it even easier where the quarterback tells you in the huddle what your play is, and you just go out there and run your route. Uh, once you get tired of the line of scrimmage and you're on the offensive line, you have to worry about being big enough to play, uh, understanding all the checks that come with it, and then all the technique that's applied. Uh, there's less athleticism involved where you're, as an athlete, you can get away from technique and still be successful uh, like a skill player can. But once you're inside like that, it's difficult to raise and just come in and, and be good. That's why you always see uh, redshirt juniors and redshirt seniors typically across the offensive front uh, just because it takes time to grow into a body that's capable of being successful across an offensive line. So, uh, no, I, I, I'm really sorry to uh, to disappoint here to listeners, but it, it's really hard to fix an offensive line in one season unless you had, you're just blessed with, six, seven guys who are all capable and you've got backups who can come in. Uh, it, it's one of those situations where, and that's why I said it's offensive line is terminal because once you have a bad offensive line, typically that problem is throughout the season and then you start to see other poor symptoms pop up like a bad run game and injured quarterback. So Syracuse has gotten the full run this year and at this point, this is why I'm saying your defense has to save you and you hopefully get some breaks on offense because it, it's not... You can't just patch an offensive line uh, like you can other positions, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it's important to remind people here of what Syracuse lost last year. 100% of your tackle snaps from last year are gone. Cody Conway and Coda Martin. Probably about 60% of your guard snaps are gone. Aaron Roberts and Sam Heckleshoot. So think about that. That's a, an enormous percentage of the experience you had last year is gone. So you're bringing in people who have not played before. And, and any lineman will tell you if one guy's doing the wrong thing on a play, the play is busted, most likely. If you go back and watch that pick game, which I did and I wrote about it, some of these miscommunications are just plays are ruined. They never have a chance. So it's, it's as much about guys being in the wrong spots, not hearing the right calls, procedural penalties that put you kind of behind the sticks as, well, he's just getting beat sometimes. You know, he can't quite hold up the extra half second we want. Like, it's – that that inexperience goes a lot more than guys beating being beat man-on-man. Man. And, and when you have to replace that much production in one year, you can't allocate your resources to – help a tackle or, or, you know, even even a guard or an interior lineman have your running back stay inside. Like, it's coming from all over, and at this point I think the confidence levels have, have really taken a hit. So certainly understand all the O-line questions, but it's they're, they're dealing with a lot, and there's, there's clearly no easy fix. Uh, a couple more questions. Matty Russo, loved the podcast and subscribed. Thank you very much. Everyone else, go do that. Uh, do you guys think we could dominate the O-line against Florida State again? Also, do you see some benefit in the rest of the schedule that we probably already faced the best defensive lines in the ACC? Uh, yeah, I, I do think Syracuse can dominate the O-line uh, against Florida State. I, I think timing out those pressures correctly and, and rushing to stop the run is the biggest thing clogging up those holes putting them in second and second and long third and long and getting your 335 package out on the field 
there you can send some overload blitzes. You can you can drop eight and, and see if Blackman is going to make mistakes in the passing game. Putting them in those situations is, is really – and frankly, this has worked for Syracuse the last two years, and it's kind of football, but I, I think with the opportunistic defense that Syracuse has, they, they take those percentages and bump them a couple more points. So stopping Cam Akers I think is the biggest way – to dominate that O-line, uh, and then just rearing back and, and letting Allen Robinson and Kendall Coleman do what they can do. I, I've really been impressed with Josh Black the last couple weeks, K.J. Ruff, uh, and I actually really liked how Vince Reynolds used his backup defensive tackles against Pittsburgh. We saw Chris Elmore come in as kind of a run stopper, had a TFL on a third and one, and then we saw Brandon Barry come in more in passing situations. He had a sack and another quarterback pressure, so I think that group it is showing some signs of improvement. They have gotten pushed out of their gaps a little bit in the run game. I'm not sure if Florida State's offensive line is going to be capable of doing that. Uh, as far as the schedule, I, I think there's some benefit in it, but it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. And I do think Pittsburgh's front is very, very good. But is NC State's front really, really good? Or did they just play Syracuse and Florida State and get 15 sacks from those two games? Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I do think the schedule does get a little lighter in that regard, but, you know, you're shuffling linemen and playing guys who haven't played before. I just, I, I really can't reasonably give you that kind of optimistic point. Um, but hey, maybe they make an adjustment this weekend and they show something and, and, and we're all proven wrong. But until I see some semblance of consistency and execution from the front five, I, I just can't. I can't tell you that because right now it looks like just about any Power 5 team is going to be able to give SU problems. Uh, Jeff Glotzer, wouldn't you run more screenplays and jet sweeps to help the O-line? Uh, we actually talked about this a few weeks ago. The, the issue with the jet sweeps are that the tackles set back and then it kind of blows up the play a little bit. And We actually saw that happen once in the pit game. Uh, with, with Welch out there, they ran a jet sweep RPO. Didn't account for Clayton, so when he took the ball, it worked quite well. There was one play where they kept a safety in the box, and Clayton gave the ball to Sean Riley, and they were backed up in the in their own near their own end zone. I think it lost three or four yards, so that's one of the big things. And then for screen plays, at least what what kind of occurs to me is you 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 can't you have to run screen plays in certain situations, right? And if you can't produce on first down like a screenplay is not going to be as effective on third and ten when everyone knows it's coming um, you really want to be in the second and three four five where you can call anything in the offense and you're you're running a screen either against a pressure or in a situation where teams don't know it's coming like i understand the inclination to want to run more of those i don't think dino babers and mike lynch are overlooking screenplays necessarily but it's it's really situational, and, and when you put yourself behind the sticks again and again, like it's it's just not going to work consistently. You know, teams are teams are dropping eight against you, and if if they're doing that, uh, which Pitt didn't too much, NC State did quite a bit. You know, the numbers aren't in your favor. Uh, got one for Julian here from Loren D. Uh, I'd like to hear Julian's take on the mindset of the team if we drop this one and fall to three and five. Do high expectations during the preseason put a false confidence in players' minds? Are individual goals with players more important than this when the season tanks? Did Julian experience this at all? Uh, so, yes, I did because we, I played on three, man, really two bad teams. Uh, players always have their individual goals. Everybody wants to go to the NFL. Uh, I think guys get older and they kind of realize those dreams aren't possible. So they, 
uh, either A, take up a, a team attitude, or B, they start to focus on school a little bit more. Um, but as far as the the preseason expectation, I think a lot of guys did buy into that. Uh, I've been around guys who were saying, you know, like last year was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to the NFL, uh, kind of having that confidence about them after having so much success. And then coming into this year, I think that kind of, uh, you know, leaked into this year's team just kind of assuming the success would happen because they went on the field. And, no, it's not the case. I mean, you guys you guys had talented guys. Um, Eric Dungey was criminally underrated, uh, clearly, because of what he was able to, to, to uh, kind of patch up as far as, uh, the offensive line and maybe some of the issues they may have had, uh, but yeah, it, it certainly um, it certainly plays. A, it, I think it played a part this year as far as guys thinking, oh, we're getting all this hype, the lot of million videos, um, and we're supposed to be this good, and all of a sudden you've got these problems, and it's like, shoot, what's going on? And then once you start to get to this point in the year, and this is why I get worried, right? Because I've been on teams where guys, I think we were, probably, I think it was maybe two and five, actually, uh, but we had way more losses than wins, and guys were booking their tickets home already, uh, kind of assuming that we weren't going to a bowl game. And that's when you're like, all right, you've got guys who are checking out. Um, and once you start to see that as a player, you know, friends or, or teammates who are checking out, you're like, why am I giving all of this effort for this guy and he's not giving it to me? Then you've got some, uh, you know, kind of back and forth between guys, and that's when you start to see a little bit of separation. I think that a Coach Davis team is, is, are a little bit better coached up in that aspect because they've had success in the past, and they have, I think, a, a little bit of a closer-knit team because of the success they had last season um, and the way they've been able to come together. So it, it's certainly possible. Uh, I don't expect it, but a loss this week, you may start to see – at least on a defensive side of the ball. Uh, if you guys remember Louisville, uh, I think two years ago, when Syracuse didn't have anything to play for, and they just kind of let Lamar Jackson do everything. And you saw, you can see it on the field when guys give uh, below average effort. It's the one, it's the tackles where you kind of make it look like you want to hit the guy, but you don't. <laughs> you don't want to. You kind of just give him the arm, like a little chicken wing, and you kind of hope he falls. Uh, I've never understood that. Uh, I can't think of any instance uh, in my own career where I was like, I'll make it look like, but I've certainly seen it. And coaches call it out all the time where you kind of make it look like you want to make a tackle and you don't. And uh, you'll see it on the field and on television when guys are checking out. They'll just kind of flop their body and make zero effort to wrap up. So it'll that question will answer itself come uh, week 10, 11, 12, whether or not Syracuse is playing for anything. And you'll see it more so on the defensive side of the ball because defense is so much more effort-related, trying to get to the ball and make a play rather than something being scripted for you to do. So you'll mm -hmm. see whether or not uh, this team has fell apart of the seams by the end of the year on tape if guys are whipping after ball carriers or if they're uh, sticking to blocks and being block magnets. And what I mean by that is you'll see a guy, uh, a blocker's coming up, and it'll just go straight to the block rather than going after the ball carry. You've seen that. And it just, it's upsetting. Like, if you're someone who, uh, me, I was the guy, I, I wanted to win games. Uh, I certainly had my own personal goals, but I knew that if the team wins, I look better because, oh, you're contributing to a winning team. There must be something good about you rather than just being a decent player on a bad team. It lowers your draft stock and all that other stuff. So uh, you'll see 
guys who are showing effort and the ones who won't, and if, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, because that's where it's really evident where guys either stick to blocks or just whip on tackles. So I hope not to see it. I think Coach Baber's teams are coached up better than that. So, uh, But we will see. We will see it. We've seen it in the past, and you'll definitely be able to see it uh, come by the season then. One more from Dino himself, probably. Dino's burner. <laughs> seeking, seeking some help on the back end. Julian, do you ever think about getting into coaching at the collegiate level? Coach Babers, you're hilarious, man. Um, you know, some, show me a, uh, an offer and we'll see, man. But uh, I have, throughout my life, have had zero interest in coaching just because, and I think people can hear it, uh, we're doing commentary with you, Stephen, uh, I can't stand when guys make the same mistake three, four, and five times over, right? Um, it, it, it's just one of those things where if I tell you how to do it and you constantly make the same mistake over and over and over again, I, I don't have the patience for it. It's just not something I can do. Um, I think I, I've met people who are coaches and what kind of personality they have to deal with it and some of the gripes that they have with players. And I'm like, that's just something I, I, I don't want to do. I, I love people, and I'd much rather coach up the public because I can give you the, you know, the X's and O's or whatever the mentality is or what a guy's supposed to do. But I don't have to worry about if you're going to do it right or not because you're just watching the game. So you can enjoy the, the, the point, and, you know, we, we go 100% with it. Uh, rather than trying to coach up a player who can mess it up, and then I'm upset, he's upset and then I'm, I'm choking out an 18-year-old. So I, I can't uh, – <laughs> I, I don't think I am a, uh, a great uh, coach in terms of the, the personality required because I don't have the, the patience and the want to, um, to, to be a, a great coach. But um, I think that the secondary is doing fine right now. I actually think that they're well-coached. Uh, you know, talking to the guys, uh, they – they enjoy their coaching. I, I when I was in Syracuse, I saw them working on things. I'm like, oh man, they're getting prepped for the league. Uh, like the NFL, I think backpedaling is obsolete, and I'm seeing guys starting to, in Syracuse shuffle rather than backpedal. I'm like, okay, they seem to be ahead of the curve here. So they're getting coached just fine, and I think I'm doing just fine here, uh, passing commentary and coaching at the public. So you guys can be smarter fans and can see things, and you guys come back, Stephen. And the other thing is. Uh, Stephen, I'm going to praise you a little bit here. Stephen Bailey has done a phenomenal job in terms of learning uh, as a beat reporter uh, the ins and outs of football. I hated the guy because I felt like a lot of people wrote about me who <laughs> were totally incorrect. But I think he's done a phenomenal job in terms of figuring out uh, what plays and, and how certain things run together and where guys are supposed to be. So um, in terms of getting... Uh, good information and such. I think everyone has done a great job of learning. I just love seeing guys um, understanding football, fans, Twitter people, whatever it is, kind of uh, know what's going on in the game because it makes it that much, that much more enjoyable. So um, in terms of coaching, I would never do it. I love seeing people learn about the game and, and being better fans and such. So um, I, I'm much more comfortable in this role with the media and commentary. Yeah, thanks, Julian. I, I definitely had a lot to learn early on, and uh, those conversations with you definitely helped, uh, as do these. <laughs> um, nice try, Dino, and I, I agree with you. I think Nick Monroe and Kim McLeod do a good job. Uh, Nick Monroe also probably their best recruiter, so 
if uh, if, if Dino's kicking out some of that extension money, you you probably want to keep him around. Uh, exactly. All right, let's switch over to predictions. While Julian comes up with his on the spot, I'll give you mine. Uh, I got Florida <laughs> State winning thirty-one seventeen. Look, we talked about all the offensive stuff. Until they put a game together, I just cannot pick them to win. Like, I, I don't think Florida State is, is great. Their offensive line's a problem. Uh, but to me, their red zone efficiency, and they're actually a very good defensive red zone team as well. Uh, <clears throat> you know, that kind of, that to me, that's why I kind of have them covering. I think it opened as a 10.5 point spread. Um, I do think if you can stop t- Cam Akers and the Syracuse defense makes some big plays, like, this could definitely be a game at, in the fourth quarter. But when you're making offensive line adjustments going into a place like Florida State with two hurt quarterbacks i mean it's just it, i just i can't pick them to win i just can't no see i'm on the same page as far as not being able to pick them to win but i don't think Florida State has uh the offensive capability to put up that many points so i'm going to say it's a close game 21-17 i think Syracuse stays in the game uh, throughout and into the fourth quarter, but I think Florida State actually finds a way to to win the football game rather than uh, it being on Syracuse this week. Uh, again, it's hard to pick Syracuse to win with their offensive problems, the offensive line, the quarterback issues. When you don't have an offensive line or a starting quarterback, um, I don't know what the record is, but I'm sure it's below 10% in terms of winning. So, um, it, again, I don't think uh, Syracuse has a great chance of winning this game. I'm picking them to lose. But uh, Florida State, I don't think they score very often, but they find a way to win this one. All right, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you haven't already, please go subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you listen to your podcasts on. If you want to purchase advertising, contact Dylan Carpenter at 315-470-6069, and we will be back to break down the Syracuse-Florida State game.